Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. I want to talk to you about giving. Really talking to you this month about obligations, and believers do not want to be obligated in the day in which we live. Christians do not want to be obligated to very much tall in our nation. I think it's a cultural thing, but I think it's a problem. So I'm talking to you about obligations that, if you will assume them, will bring you closer to Christ in 2018 than you have ever been before. We've talked about praying, we've talked about caring, and today giving. Next week, fasting, but today giving. I want to take you back in time, a long time, to Genesis 28. And there we see the story of Jacob. Jacob. Jacob the liar. His name means deceiver. He will get a new name after wrestling with God, meeting God face to face, and God will give him a new name, Israel, which means God fighter, because he said, you have fought with God and men, and you have prevailed. But at this point, he's still just plain old Jacob the liar. But Jacob the liar is very careful at this point in his life, Genesis 28, 22. We find him paying tithe to God. Go back even further in time to his grandfather, Father Abraham, father of the faithful. And in Genesis 14, 20, he is returning from the battle of the kings. He is not a king, but he has been the star of the battle of the kings. Surprisingly, Father Abraham has demonstrated he is a military genius, among other things. And he returns victorious with the spoils of war from the battle of the kings, and he stops by a place called Salem, later called Jerusalem, and there he is met by a mysterious figure who drops in from nowhere, Melchizedek. He drops in. He meets Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace. We say the word shalom, Salem, king of peace. But he's also, he's also the, the priest of the Most High God. And he introduces into Abraham's vocabulary a new name for God, El Elyon, God Most High. Abraham thought all these years he was the only worshiper of God Most High until he meets this priest of God Most High. And he arranges with the priest of God Most High, Abraham does, to pay his tithe. Now I tell you these stories because... There are so many Christians that get all wadded up in a ball and get nervous when we begin to talk about tithing and giving, and they're saying, oh, you're trying to put us back under the law of Moses the lawgiver, but we are free from the law. That was Moses' law, and you're trying to take us back to the days of Moses the lawgiver, but I tell you those two stories of Jacob paying tithe and Abraham paying tithe because Jacob is paying tithe 300 years before there is a law of Moses. Before there is any command or obligation, what the Jewish people call a mitzvah to take care of your tithe. 
300 years Jacob pays tithes before there is a law. And back it up further than that to the time of Father Abraham, at least 500 years before there is a law about tithing, we find Father Abraham paying tithing. Tithing isn't law. Tithing is before the law. It is something before the law. So when people get nervous and wring their hands and say, oh, you're trying to put us under law. No, I am not, because it is not law. It predates law, you see. Now, there's some good things to know about tithing. Number one, it's not just about money. Now, for those that are not tithers, I want you to listen very carefully today. And for those that are, I want you to be encouraged today. And know that you are following the great desire of God's heart. But one of the good things to know about tithing is that it's not just about money. How generous you are toward God reaches into every part of your life. If you are generous financially toward God, that will touch every facet of your life. It will touch your health. It will touch your mind. It will touch your family. It will touch your legacy. It will touch everything in your life. And it's not just about money. You see, God entrusts you not with unlimited time. How many know that? Every day that I get a little bit older, and I always remember that every day that I'm a little bit older, Blanca Marquez is a little bit older than I am. But every day that she gets older than me, I'm realizing that we do not have unlimited time, right? We're not given unlimited time, but we're given a certain amount of time. Likewise, we're given a certain amount of talent and a certain amount of energy and a certain amount of faith, and it varies with everybody, a certain amount of influence, a certain amount of influence over family and friends, and we're given a certain amount of money. God entrusts us not with unlimited resources, but with what we have. But when we're generous toward God with our money, it affects and reaches into every part of our life, our time, our talent, our energy, our faith, our influence, and everything. There's a second thing that's good to know about tithing, and it's not about money to run the church. I won't stop there for very long. It's way bigger than that. But it's not simply about money to run the church. I don't bring it to you just so we can pay the PG&E bill. And it's not about ownership. You know, as a follower of Jesus, you really don't own anything. The Bible says you have been bought with a price. And what is that price? The precious blood of Christ. And so having been bought with that price, you don't really own anything because you don't even own yourself. You've been purchased twice, in fact. So it's not about ownership because you don't really own anything. And that's one of the hardest things for some believers to hear. But it's very easy for me to show you by the way we talk about the importance of tithing. A lot of times we talk about it this way. We, uh, we say, I am giving my tithe. I'm giving my tenth, because the word tithe is an old English word that means tenth. Tenth. That's why it sounds similar to tenth. 
But when we talk about it, we say, oh, yeah, it's really important for me to give my tithe. But when we say I'm giving my tithe, the Bible doesn't know what we're talking about. Because in the Word, it says it's not giving my tithe, it's paying God's tithe. A couple of words are different there. We zero in on the word tithe, but we're not giving, we're paying. It's an obligation. And it's not my tithe, it's already God's. I'm only giving Him what belongs to Him. So it's paying God's tithe, not giving my tithe, but we often think of it the other way around, and we think it's because we own it, we don't. You can't claim ownership over anything if you belong to Christ. Not really. Everything that you've got, you've got it on loan. It's on loan. And that includes your time, and that includes your health, and that includes your sanity, and that includes your family, and that includes your house, and that includes your car, and that includes your money. It's yours, but it's only yours on loan. You're not an owner. You're what the Bible calls a steward. In other words, you're somebody who does not own, but something valuable has been entrusted to you. You are a steward. You are a caretaker. It's kind of like God has said, Here's some money. Here, here, watch this for me. Take care of this for me. You're in a position of trust. With whatever you have, God has trusted you with that. But make no mistake, it's His, it's not yours. And the tithe is not yours to do with as you wish. Now I mentioned that tithe means tenth, but it's not only about the tenth. Many, maybe most people, have the idea that, well, once my tithe is taken care of, the other 90%, that's mine to do with what I want. No, it's not just about the tenth. Because as a follower of Jesus, again, you are a steward not only of that tenth, you are a steward of the 90. You're the steward of what you retain as much as you're a steward over the tenth. Because it's all a loan from God, you see? And that's how God looks at it. That's how He looks at that 90%. And so the question for us is, as God looks at how I do spend that other 90%, is He pleased with that too? Because it's not just about the tenth. Now, I want you to see something concrete. I want you to look in the book of Malachi. Very last book in the Old Testament, at least in the way we've got it ordered. Unless you follow a Bible reading plan, and by the way, we have some of those available. You can pick one up after the service. I encourage you to do that. But unless you follow a systematic Bible reading plan, it's very likely that you have missed this group of people called the Minor Prophets. They're at the end of your Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Minor Prophets. We call them that not because they were under 16 years of age or had to be carted everywhere they went, but we call them that because they're shorter. But their message is always powerful. And there's a powerful message in the third chapter of Malachi's prophecy. I want you to take a look at it. Verse number 8, chapter 3, Malachi. It says it this way, Will a mere mortal rob God? If you're a King James user, it says, Will a man rob God? 
Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. This is God talking. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Did we just read that? It's actually there, isn't it? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse because of that, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And he goes on to explain other ways that he will bless beyond monetary if we will serve him with the tithe and the offering that is not ours, but is his. But he starts off with a question, posing a question, kind of a scary question. Would we steal from God? As I said in the King James, will a man rob God? But ladies are not off the hook here. Because it means human, mortal, a person. Would a person actually rob God? What's that word rob mean? It means to steal. It means to deprive of something that's rightfully owned. It means to defraud. If you hold on to what God says is His, one-tenth, then you are a thief. That's what it says, right? If we hold back the tithe that is God's, then we have stolen You're stealing from God. You may not think of it that way, and that may sound very rough to you. But I don't see very much wiggle room there, do you? If you hold on to what God says is His, you're stealing from Him. Now that should get the attention of all of us. You ever have anything stolen? Everybody rip you off? I say, nothing infuriates me like a thief. I hate being stolen from. hate it. I've had things taken out of my car. It enrages me. At the South Center, I've had people walk in and take equipment. drives me insane. And when I catch them, if I catch them, there is retribution. (laughs) I hate thieves. Is that too strong a word to say? I can't stand it. The idea of stealing, taking something that's not yours, that you didn't earn, that's not your property, that you're not invested in, you just help yourself to it, that to me is a serious character flaw, about as serious as they get. It's a despicable thing, stealing. It's a heinous thing, stealing. To rob God, though, in His very presence, while He's watching with His full knowledge, that to me is unthinkable. And if you'll give it a minute, you'll realize how unthinkable that is, that a person would think they can actually rob God, steal from God. Yet He says that's what you've done with failure to pay the tithe. It's not some nice quaint little religious exercise that we do. He says you invite a curse on yourself if you hold back from me, if you steal. That is my interest in bringing this to you today. If you're not aware of that, now you are aware of that. Because I worry 
I've thought in the past, people come and there's sickness and there's hurt and there's reversals and they don't have enough money and there's things are never getting met. And it's, it's like, but, but the cure is this. Do this. You're bringing a curse on yourself. Would we steal from God? That's his question. You only think that you get away with it. If you're of a mind to hold back the tithe from God, you only think you're getting away. You only think you have committed the perfect crime in taking what belongs to God. An eagle equipped with that telescopic eyesight that's one of the marvels of God's nature. It's far above the surface and looks down and see this, sees this collection of ant-sized human beings gathered around an altar. They are sacrificing an animal. And the eagle folds back his wings and like a bullet shoots at that altar and swoops in and pulls off a chunk of that meat takes it back to the nest. He's stolen it and gotten away with it. But little did he know that as that meat lay on the altar, a coal, a live coal from the fire had embedded itself and burned itself into the surface of that slab of meat. And when he laid it in his nest, it caught the entire thing on fire and he lost it all, children all. We think if we fail in taking care of that obligation before God that we get by with it, but we don't get by with it. We are defrauding God, but really we defraud ourselves, don't we? We cheat ourselves, really. Keep God's money in the bank. Keep God's money in your wallet. And you lose. But nobody, listen to me, nobody ever lost out by serving God with her whole heart, his whole heart. Nobody ever lost out. However tight the budget, nobody that's ever been generous to God has ever lost out. So you may keep it and compromise your conscience. I've got too many bills to pay the tithe. I, I'll start next month. You may compromise your conscience while you hold on to what is God's, but you will never fool God. So how have we stolen from God? Good question. And it's posed for us in the text, isn't it? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, and here it is, how are we robbing you? How have we stolen from God? God answers the question Himself. He says what? In tithes and offerings. So apparently you can pay God's tithe and still be guilty of stealing the offering. That's a subject for another day, but the offering is over and above. It's, it's those times when opportunities are presented to you by the Spirit of God Himself, opportunities for you to get involved in His work. That's the offering over and above the tenth. Here's what I would say. Just be generous with God. Just be generous. Start with the tenth, but just be generous even beyond that because you may think you are holding on to it 
and it will put you ahead. But in the end, you will pay that tithe. And the interest may be compounded. Remember the eagle? Now, you may look mean at me for saying all this, but I want to tell you, I didn't write it. It's there in your Bible for you to see. So the question then is, how much should I bring? And that's answered in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe. That's how much. Bring all of it. Bring the whole 10%. Now, in some churches, a plate is passed. And I think part of the rationale in that is, in that particular church, the plate is passed so we can get this over quickly, and it's a little bit embarrassing, and we don't want to make a big deal out of it, and so we just kind of silently pass this plate so nobody will be offended. But you've noticed that we make it part of our worship, don't we? It's part of how we live life in the family of God. We make it part of that. And that's because I think there is a real blessing in making the choice every Sunday to come forward and lay your tithes and offerings in God's hands. And we lay all of it. All of it. You don't disperse part of the tithe here and part of it there. We'll see why in just a moment. But he says all of it is what you're to bring, all of the tithe. And the good news is that is an equal amount. Whether you bring in a lot in your paycheck or you're on a very fixed income, it's all the same amount. Because look at what he says. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So he says, test me in that. Now, where and why should I bring it? Where and why should I bring it? He says, into the storehouse. Bring all of the tithe into the storehouse. Make that choice week by week. In other words, the storehouse. And later in the verse, he identifies it. I'm talking, he says, about my house. And notice that it's singular and not plural. Bring the tithe, all of it, not into the storehouses, but into the storehouse, not into my houses, but my house, the church that you're part of is what he's talking about. The church family where God has placed you, that is your storehouse. And why to the storehouse? He says, so that there may be food in my house. And that simply means we bring the tithe to the house where we go to worship God. That's all. You may give to other good things, but the tithe belongs to the one storehouse, you see. Simply means we bring the tithe to the house where we go to worship God. Think about it. You wouldn't go to the grocery store, load up your basket with all of the things you need, load it up in the car, and then drive to a market down the street that you know could use your business and pay the bill there, right? That would be against the law. And that kind of behavior is against God's law. Now, if, if God lays a burden on your heart for somebody to help somewhere and it's outside your storehouse, the place where you go to worship God, then give them an offering if God has laid a, 
on your heart over and above the regular tithe and offering, and I bet, I bet you, God will bless you every time. I bet you. When do we do that? Well, it's very simple. Very simple. I want to direct your attention to the New Testament, just in case there's somebody sitting there saying, yeah, but that's Old Testament. I'll remind you that the Old Testament is God's Word too. But for those that may feel that way, take a look in 1 Corinthians 16, and we're going to wrap this up. The question is, when should I do this? Verse 2, chapter 16, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. It's about as clear and about as plain as it could get, isn't it? And so I've laid it out before you as clearly as I possibly could. Some may do better. That's the best I can do. But I want you to give with this attitude. Last week I watched, I watched again this week, but last week I watched as people came forward and laid their gifts during the offering time, and I watched our grandbaby, Harper, and she had the envelope. Mom and Dad had given, them, given her their envelope, and she ran up, and Chris was ushering last week, and she put it in Chris's container, and then she looked up at him and she said, I did it! And that's the attitude we should be giving with. God, I've done it. I've done it. Because if you will do that, His guarantee is He will take care of everything else. I want to wrap up with this scripture from the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And I want you just to listen. And if it will help you, maybe close your eyes. Or just look at the pretty picture on the screen. Then Jesus said to his disciples, followers, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the birds. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than little birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink, and do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And secondly, your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased 
to give you a kingdom. (laughs) I think he'll take care of us. If we'll honor him, he'll take care of us. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.